Welcome to the Runner's World Show. I'm David Willey, Editor-in-Chief. This week, the show has a slightly different format. In a longer-than-usual segment, Executive Editor Tish Hamilton joins me in the studio to talk about my recent trip to China. I was there in part to report on the running boom that's going off in the world's most populous country. I ran in a race, spoke to local runners and race directors, and came away with some interesting and surprising insights. We'll share excerpts from a few of my interviews and give you a tour of sorts of what it's like to be a runner in China today. Then, in the kick, we'll recap the week's running news, which includes a booming black market for race bibs and some hard-won marathon training advice from Olympian Desi Linden. Thanks for joining us. So I This may be a surprising fact to some listeners. Runner's World publishes 19 international editions. Our partners reuse some of the articles we publish here in the U.S. and mix in some of the stuff they write and report locally. We're in Europe, South America, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and for the past four years, in China. In April, our Chinese partners hosted me at the Runner's World International Running Festival in the city of Nanjing, where I also spoke at a summit about the state of running in China. And running is booming in China. It's very hard to get the kinds of numbers about participation we can get here in the States, but according to the Chinese Athletic Association, more than 3 million runners took part in a running event in 2015. And there are now 20 times as many runners as there were 20 years ago in China. This was my first trip to Asia, and I spent six days in three different cities, Nanjing, Beijing, and Shanghai. That's a lot of moving around for such a short trip, but I really wanted to see this running boom up close and to try to understand what was driving it. And perhaps because it's our 50th anniversary here at Runner's World, it was not lost on me that it's also the 50th anniversary of the Cultural Revolution in China. So I also hope to use running as sort of a lens through which I might be able to understand modern Chinese culture, or at least understand the differences between that culture and our own. I ran in every city I visited and interviewed about a dozen runners and race directors. They were men and women, ranging from relative beginners to experienced marathoners to elite pros. I spoke to some of them in English and to others through a translator, and the language barrier was always front and center in China. But it was a fascinating trip, and in some ways, my expectations about running there were confirmed, and in some ways, they were surprisingly confounded. So I'm here with executive editor Tish Hamilton, and Tish, I'm really excited to talk to you about my trip to China, in part because you've spent time in China, and you are such a passionate, lifelong runner, and... There just aren't that many people I know who are runners who have been to China and who have actually run in China who I can talk to about this who would sort of understand all these different strands of what I was trying to do and what I ended up finding out. And I'm excited to talk to you because, as you know, I'm really interested in China because my daughter is from China. And I've been there twice. I went there in 2005 to get her. And then she and I went back in 2012 for a homeland tour. And the changes I saw between 2005 and 2012 were just huge. It was so drastically different. 
And I imagine it's changed even more dramatically in between 2012 and 2016. So I'm curious, David, about what cities you went to. Tell me about where you went, what it was like. Right. So importantly, I really only spent time in the cities. I did, in such a short time, I wasn't able to get out into the countryside. So my, you know, my view of China and my view of running in China really is a city – a centric view. I was in Beijing and Nanjing and Shanghai. And I ran in all those places and really nobody batted an eye. And I don't think anyone really bats an eye at anybody running in the cities. In the countryside, I think it's a little bit different. I was a little bit outside the city of Nanjing and ran in some areas where I did get some interesting looks, but really primarily uh, in cities. And again and again, it just felt like running was a normal thing and has grown so much there so quickly, as you said. I actually spoke to one runner named Wei Jun, who's been running for 20 years and is actually a race director there. And here's what he had to say about the growth of running in China. When you started running, what was running like here in China? Were many people running or were you one of few? Uh, in that time, it's a few people running, you know. In that time, they have, still have some marathon race. I think I can't remember in that time only Beijing Marathon in China. I think uh, every year only 300 people to run the race. 300 people running the Beijing Marathon. And and now how many? And now uh, 30,000. Yeah. 30,000. Yeah. And now, you, you know, in that time, the the, the race close time was very short. I think... I can remember three hours or three thirty. So, in that time, most people is um, professional uh, athlete. Yeah. And how about now? How did? How, what do you see when you look at running now compared to when you started? Yeah, I think now everybody running. <laughs> <laughs> three hundred people running in under three thirty or three hours for the marathon is pretty uh, pretty remarkable. And does that sound familiar to you, Tish? It totally does, actually. It sort of mirrors um, uh, the growth of running in the in here in the United States, only like a shortened amount of time, right? Exactly. That's the feeling that I had is it echoes of sort of the first running boom here in the U.S., but it's changing so much faster than it did here. So lots of big races like Beijing Marathon with 30,000 runners, but, but smaller ones as well. I, I was reading the English language papers when I was over there uh, and read about – a half marathon that happened to be going on when I was there that had 3,000 runners in it in one of the cities that I'd never even heard of. Um, so it, it's really across the board. It can be really hard to get statistics about the number of runners, the number of races uh, in, in China, but I was able to pull some together from the Chinese Athletic Association, which says that in 2010, there were 13 officially registered marathons in China. And in 2015, there were 134. So, you know, in five years, essentially a tenfold increase, which is pretty incredible. Okay, so many more people are running in China now over the past decade. Um, did you get a sense while you were there or, about, or while you were reading about it as to why? Why is running becoming more popular in China? Well, broadly speaking, the the biggest reason seems to be socioeconomic. People now have disposable income. You know, millions of people are in the middle class, upper middle class, upper upper middle class, and they have the luxury of thinking about their leisure time and thinking about their health and their fitness in ways that they never used to. And 
as we know, running is the most accessible sport or form of exercise there is. Pair of shoes and a change of clothes and, and you're good to go. And did you get to talk to any runners? Like, who is running? Who did you get to talk to? Yeah, it, and and it's it's the full range. You know, it there are professional runners in, in China, and there are everyday runners, people who are uh, parents and they have jobs, and they're squeezing and running into their busy lives. And I talked to about a dozen of them, and it was then that I started to get a little bit more of a specific sense for why those individual runners run. And it, it sounded pretty familiar. I'll, I'll be interested to hear what you think. But here's part of an interview I did with a relatively new runner who lives in Beijing. My name is Audrey. My Chinese name is Wang Jie. And I worked as an anchor in CCTV sports channel. And how long have you been running? Um, not very long, actually. Uh, it's just uh, more than one year. And why did you start? Ah, uh, because uh, I love to go to the gym to do the exercise uh, every day. So uh, uh, many people say, uh, you can run, and then I just run. I just begin to run. And Not very com- complex reasons, yeah. What do you love about running? Uh, I think uh, running can lower my pressure. And uh, I, I feel that uh, I can finish something. I can uh, I can handle something that uh, I like to feel that I can do it instead of I, I can't, I can't finish. What is one of the most amazing things you've seen or experienced while running? Uh, when I finished my first uh, five kilometers. Yeah, you know, there's a, a obstacle that in your mind that... Uh, Five kilometers is a is a point that you you can't break it. But when I uh, first uh, when I first time to finish the five kilometers, uh, I feel very pleased and uh, I feel very confident that I, I can I can run five kilometers. If I can run five kilometers, then I can uh, finish the ten maybe more. So there are two things I love about that. I love that her reasons are not complex. Right. And also that she's an anchor, right? So she's somebody who's obviously very accomplished, and yet she loves that feeling of daily accomplishment when she goes for her run, which is like what we all feel, right? We feel like we've started our day with an accomplishment when we started our day with a run. Yeah, it was really empowering. And, and sitting there talking to her, you know, her her eyes lit up when she was talking about running and, and the power that it has – for her in her daily life and the way that she uses running. So Audrey obviously was a new runner, but I also talked to a 39-year-old runner who's done more than 50 marathons. So his name is Hu Zhijun, and he's the local person. How long have you been running? He has been running for 20 years. Yes. 20 years, Wow. Uh, so actually, when he started running, he just think of to make him look more stronger. But uh, uh, so uh, later, he started. Uh, he uh, realized that running could uh, to release the pressure in his work or study, and uh, uh, also this kind of running marathon competition makes him feel very happy. And what is your PR, your best time, and what are your goals for the future? 
The best score, the best time is three hours and seventeen minutes, and his goal is three hours and ten minutes. Okay, so he's been running for a long time, twenty years. But one thing that struck me with both of them is they both talked about running to、um, relieve pressure, which I think we would call stress、right. here, and it's something that we all we definitely relate to is relieving stress. It has to be so stressful to live in those cities, Beijing and Nanjing.、Uh, they're just they're so crowded and so bustling, and just getting through the day is quite an achievement. And they're so loud and. There's so much that's like in your face all the time. Yeah, it's blowing off stress. You know, again, a very familiar reason to us that we hear from runners and from runners' old readers.、Um, but it was pretty clear that it was a great tool for that、um, for for this gentleman and, and for lots of other people as well. So you got to talk to some、uh, regular runners.、Uh, how about did you talk to any professionals? I did. I, I actually talked to the fastest female ultra runner in all of China. She does. 50k, 100k, sometimes longer, and I was told she even sometimes wins outright and beats the men. My name is Dong Li.、Uh, I come from Beijing, China. Why do you think you are such a good trail runner and ultra runner? Um, uh, should say it's more interesting, but also very fun. That is a very exciting experience. And maybe、uh, you can relax yourself、uh, in the natural, yeah, and uh, um, more challenge for self, yeah. And are you on a team? Uh, Salomon, yeah, international team. <laughs> so they're one of your sponsors, then, Salomon. Uh, yes, yes. Do you have any other sponsors? Red Bull. Red Bull. Red Bull, yeah. <laughs> Salomon and the Red Bull. So, are you you're able to do this as your job? You make a living as a as an ultra runner, yeah? Uh, 工作加越野跑吧。对，最后还是以 yeah can make a living. Yeah, she said she want to study more about how to organize the race. Maybe uh she will organize a race. Maybe uh by herself. Maybe by some company, yeah. Organizer. You want to be a race organizer as well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ha! I love her. I love that you got to speak to the、uh, fastest ultra runner.、Um, and I'm also struck by you know how when you're speaking to all these people, there's so many similarities, but there has、right. to be differences. There has to be differences to running in China. So I'm curious, what did you see? Right. So so many of the conversations that I had with runners about running and what running was doing for them and why they ran. It, Did feel very familiar, but of course there were lots of differences, and they really struck me、uh, at the race in Nanjing. The things I observed directly,、uh, some of them are, are pretty interesting. Here, here's what it was like at the starting line. <laughs> So those voices that you heard were a, a bunch of the local politicians up on stage, counting down to the start of the half marathon, and then firing starting pistols. and And one of the main things was I was able to kind of piece together that this race 
primarily existed because the local government in Nanjing wanted it to. So this was the Runner's World Festival, and it was modeled on the Runner's World Festival that we have here in the U.S., but Runner's World primarily was brought in to promote the event and also to essentially put it on. But it was the local government that decided that its citizens should be more fit and be healthier, and therefore we are going to put on this running festival outside of Nanjing and it will have a half marathon and a 5K and a 10K and kids races and it will take place in this national park. Uh, so it was extremely organized. But that that struck me. You don't often have local races pop up because the local government decides they they want them to. And did you get to talk to any of the people who were racing? I did. After So I ran the 10K. And after the race, I talked to another one of the runners who, who crossed the finish line roughly around the same time that I did. So what, what is your name? My name is Zhuo Qiang. Uh, I can say Chinese? Can you say Chinese? Yes, I'm a bank Just from uh, China Bank, uh, bank, bank of China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, about a customer manager. He's a, a local runner, and uh, he liked to run around the course uh, before, yeah. You ran the 10K? Uh, yes. Congratulations. Good race. Thank you. Uh, congratulations to you. Yeah, Thank you. You too. Yeah. Uh, he said he's been with um, foreign runners. That he feels honored about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you. I'm honored too. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Bye-bye. So he mentioned running with the Bank of China. Did he run with a team? He ran with a huge team, and that was an, another one of the big differences that struck me over there. You know, we, of course, have running groups that run together, and sometimes there are corporate teams. But at this race in Nanjing, there were about 5,000 runners total. There were huge corporate teams, and they run with flags uh, flag bearers out in front, and they're all wearing team uniforms and team backpacks, and they have these cheering sections at the start and the finish. Um, and I and I was also able to piece together that was another big driver for for this race. In addition to the government being so involved, big corporations got involved, and I think they sort of compelled some of their employees to get involved. Uh, so yeah, that was that was pretty fascinating. Uh, and another thing that came up there was. You know his sense of honor at running with the foreign runner, and I'm pretty sure I was the only Westerner in that race. Um, it was it was an out and back course, so I was passing runners going the other way throughout the the race, and it was hard. It was very very hilly, so you know I was I was hurting. I was you know trying to run as fast as I could, trying to run hard, but at the same time very aware that, you know, a lot of people were looking at me and and pointing at me and coming over from the other side of the road to sort of give me a high five. Uh, You know, my presence as a Westerner and and, an American, if people, you know, saw me that way, was definitely in the air. (laughs) I bet. Did they give you a big thumbs up or anything? (laughs) Oh, it was incredibly positive. Yeah. Although I will say toward the end, the last mile or mile and a half, again, as I was trying to sort of maintain a pace to, uh, you know, try to get under 50 minutes if I could. I, I wasn't able to do it. You know, I was sort of trying to surge on the hills, right, and and then, you know, kind of go fast on the downhills. And there was one guy that I kept 
we had the yo-yo effect. You know, I would catch up to him and pass him and then he would catch up to me. And I don't know if I was projecting this, but I had the sense that he was like, there's no way I'm letting this American beat me. (laughs) (laughs) So the other thing I I wonder about as a runner is, um, you know, were there post-race refreshments? Yeah. What did they serve? Right. Um, After the race – was really interesting. Um, as I often do, especially when I'm trying to run hard, I'm very interested in what I'm going to eat once I cross the finish line. And so I kind of stumble over to the food area, and what I found was essentially people eating meat on sticks. And did you eat meat on sticks? You know, I, again, I had pushed it pretty hard and wasn't feeling great, and meat on a stick really wasn't what I was looking for. Um, so, no, I did not partake in that instance, in in the local cuisine. So I asked a runner that I got to know when I was over there about this. His name is Pavel Toropov, and he is an ultra runner, actually a really talented ultra runner, born in Russia and then moved to London, but has lived in China for seven years and knows a lot about China and a lot about the running scene there. What do you think of the race? What do you, what, what do you think of what you've seen today? Well, actually, um, I thought I knew Chinese races, but this has surprised me because I did not expect so many people to come. So here you have um, a lot of people who are running because they're encouraged to through their company. So they, you know, they, you know, their company or what they, the organization they work for promoting this healthy lifestyle. So they get a load of people and they all come here and they do a this kind of mass activity, almost kind of communist in style, that kind of thing. But there is also um, but yet again, you know, those people are very enthusiastic. You know, they certainly don't feel like they, they have to do it. You know, they, they're really getting into it. A lot of them are walking because they're not really training for, they're not runners, but they are, they're getting into the spirit of it. And then there are, you know, what we would call amateur runners, people who do train uh, and who do run. And there is a lot of them. I, I, I asked the, the organizers and there are several thousand people who registered through um, online to, to do this, which which really surprised me considering that, it's a small, I think it's a quite a small event. It's certainly buzzing and it just shows how fast things are changing here in China because I don't remember, I mean, I, I'm a trail runner. You know, those events are much smaller, they're less accessible. You don't have quite as many people. But just the sheer number of people and the enthusiasm for running here is, is really incredible. I am surprised it shows how fast it's developing because last time I was at a road race, it was not like that. So typically, what do Chinese runners do after they finish a race? Oh, that that <laughs> if you if you walk around the the, the area where the you know the runners arrive, um, it's packed with these promotional uh, little stalls. So you'll have a, a kebab stall, you'll have um, all sorts of really unhealthy snacks and, and and local local food that you know your, your Western runner will not charge with a barge pole, but. They're all here, and it's 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 incredible. Did you see anybody lighting up cigarettes before they started today? Uh, yes, um, <laughs> quite quite a few, and also um, after the race. And it's not just the, you know, kind of people who are new to running. You know, I was doing I was at a, a race with a, a lot of prize money, kind of professional trail race with the best runners in China, and there's an elite guy who I think he was second in 50k, and the guy who was first used to run in the Olympics, so it you know, shows you what level. And he had a, a cigarette after he finished. There are a couple other things I noticed that felt very different. First of all, there were drones everywhere. The air was filled with drones standing there at the starting line, out running on the course, drones everywhere, capturing video and photographs from, from what I was told. Uh, and then the other thing was um, what I thought of as the porta potty surprise. Um, I 
had been warned before I left that sometimes, depending on where you were in China, that the restrooms probably would not feature actual toilets. So I sort of was ready for that. But when I went to the row of porta potties lined up, you know, before the half marathon and opened the door, I was pretty surprised to see basically just a hole in the ground in the bottom of the porta potty. I guess I was expecting if you're going to build the structure of the porta potty, why wouldn't you finish the job, so to speak, and and actually build the toilet? But no, even the porta potties, at least at this race, were glorified holes in the ground. I have to tell you that when Nina and I went in 2012, we managed to never use one of those hole-in-the-ground places, and it meant we had to hold it for a lot often. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that, that struck me was uh, about the runners smoking cigarettes, right. and that is definitely something very different. You don't see that here in the United States. Um, it also leads me to the next obvious question, which is something we always talk about um, when we consider running in China and the big cities is is the pollution level. Right. Yeah. So when we were there, you know, the skies were pretty gray the whole time, and it wasn't necessarily just clouds. It was pretty smoggy. So I'm curious about whether or not you experienced that. Yeah, the the air was not great for this race. Uh, again, it was in this beautiful national park, sort of up in the mountains. And ordinarily, I think you would have pretty majestic views outward and toward the city of Nanjing. But it was just smoggy. It just looked like, you know, sort of a cloudy, overcast day, uh, except that it wasn't weather. It was actually pollution. Um, And I noticed it, you know, in my breathing and noticed it more later in my trip when I was in Shanghai and, and Beijing. And it's something that all runners are aware of and different people deal with it in different ways. Here's, here's Pavel uh, giving his point of view. Oh, that's, that's a huge problem. Um, and it's a bit of a Chinese phenomenon where you, you have this horrendous pollution, you know, PM 2.5 index, which is 30 for Europe. So anything over 30 of those particles per liter is dangerous. You know, here you would be 250, which is a fog, which is, you know, you, you're running in soup and you have people out running. Um, I'm really sensitive to that. And it kind of brought my running career to an end because I picked up a lung infection in when I was doing a race in eastern China and it, I left it untreated because I just had no idea what it was. And then it got worse and I, I got it cured. Then I, I got another one. So I got three. And it's it's a huge problem. Um, and then I think Beijing Marathon had a problem with pollution, I think, two years ago. So you had photos of people running with masks. And, yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> and here is what Audrey had to say about the air quality. When the weather is not very good, I, I will not run. Yeah, because I, I should uh, take care of my body. The weather pollution is very, uh, sometimes it's very heavy in Beijing. And so uh, when I can not go outside, I will choose to uh, run uh, in the gym. Okay, so that that makes perfect sense to me, really, is to just go inside and run on the treadmill, <laughs> um, which is what I did when I was there. Um, pretty much both times, I rarely ran outside. I don't think I ran. I didn't run outside at all the first trip, and the second trip I did maybe once or twice. So besides the race experience, did you run outside in China? I did. I ran everywhere that I was. Um, and actually, my my first run in China was the very first morning that I woke up. I didn't get to the hotel in Nanjing till like midnight. You know, it was totally upside down with jet lag and time zones or whatever. And as I often do when I get to a new place, I just the first thing I woke up, went outside for a run, and I went with my colleague from Runners World China, Lynn, and she just took me on you know maybe a three four mile run on this somewhat 
rural or at least suburban road outside Nanjing, and it was unnerving to say the least. Not because of the air quality. I mean, it was early and it was it had rained and it was kind of cool. That part wasn't bad at all, but there was no shoulder to speak of on this road. And Lynn said that I was probably the first Western runner that any of the other people on the road had ever seen. They see Westerners there because they see tourists and they see runners there because people run in Nanjing, but not Western runners on this particular road. And, you know, there were lots of trucks driving by and it was a two-lane road, but there's this crazy convention in China that I noticed many times was even on a two-lane road, people pass each other and they create sort of this third lane in the middle of the road. So cars will pass even when there are cars coming the other way. And the first couple of times I saw that, I was like, oh my God, and look for a way to move over on the shoulder. But there was nowhere for me to go. And the other thing was uh, a lot of a lot of laborers were were riding uh, mopeds and scooters and bicycles, clearly going to work. And again, might have been projecting a little bit, but I feel like I got some strange looks, you know, from them, um, perhaps wondering, you know, why I was out there running at all when you know they they have pretty pretty physical and hard work lives and the idea of doing something physical uh as a as a leisure activity is is got to be pretty foreign um and and so if you were in the roads with all that traffic is pretty insane so um i think i would look at you strange if i saw you there too <laughs> <laughs> so and did you um i know you ended your trip in beijing right right beijing really was you know the the culmination of my trip in in a bunch of different ways, and also the highlight. Um, we spent one day out at the Great Wall of China. We got very lucky, and the weather was actually great. We saw blue sky. People were freaking out because there were, there was blue sky. Um, and I actually did some running on the Great Wall of China, but was blown away by just how vast the Great Wall is and how steep sections of it was. The I, I know there's a Great Wall of China marathon. I, I cannot fathom running 26.2 miles on the Great Wall, though I guess I guess you don't, right? People end up I walking. Think people, most you of end it. up walking a lot. Okay, now I understand that. We were able to find a stretch that was relatively flat, you know, probably a few miles out where it was less crowded, and I was able to do a little bit of running on the Great Wall, which was which was pretty neat, but also got me some sideways glances. <laughs> But my last day in Beijing, I woke up, as I so often did, basically in the middle of the night because of the time zone change. And I decided very early to just go out and explore Beijing on my own. Um, I, I took my cell phone out with me and I knew from the day before that my GPS map you know, worked on my phone. And I knew that Beijing was pretty rigorously laid out on a grid. And I figured... I think I can just find my own way around. It was the first time I'd sort of explored alone. And I was really craving some alone time, to be honest with you, after six days of traveling around with other people in this foreign culture. And I also was a, that day going to get on the flight home, so a 14-hour flight. And I knew that I really wanted to get as much exercise as I could. So I ventured out of the hotel probably at about 5 in the morning, cell phone in hand, 
headed toward where I knew Tiananmen Square was and the Forbidden City, which I hadn't seen yet and really wanted to see, and also a couple of parks uh, that my colleague Lynn had told me about. And she told me that I would be able to find some runners in these parks in Beijing. So that was my goal. I headed out. I made it about two blocks, and I glanced down at my phone, completely head zapped out. The GPS stopped working. And I don't want to say that I was lost necessarily, but I had that feeling you get when you're close to being lost and you're not exactly sure what to do about it. Um, So I kept running in the vague direction of the Forbidden City, and I spotted a runner, a Chinese runner, elderly guy, gray shirt, you know, running shoes and shorts on, out for his morning run. And I decided to just follow him wherever it was that he was going to go, but also hoping that he was heading where I wanted to head. And and he was. He, he went right to the Forbidden City, and he did this loop around the walls around the Forbidden City, which were crowded with runners and people walking and fishermen. Uh, and it was this really cool, unexpected sort of running subculture that I just stumbled on uh, because I because I happened to follow this guy. I love that. I love that's a good tip for anybody traveling anywhere as a runner is to find a runner and to follow him or her because they're probably going to go somewhere that's good for running. And I think it also um, brings up this idea of having a common language. Like even if you can't speak the same language, yeah. you're not fluent in Mandarin, and but you can find a runner and just have this kind of communication. Yeah, I had that feeling again and again. And, and maybe it was just because it was the very end of my trip, uh, but it did kind of drive home this idea. You know, I I came to China looking to use running as a lens to try to understand the culture and also try to try to understand how running is different in China than in the U.S. And really what I came away with was a sense that there were so many more similarities between running in China and running in the U.S. and that running uh, really is this kind of universal language um, as opposed to being something that is different from one country to another. In a lot of ways, it's sort of a lingua franca. And it was kind of a cool thing to to come home with. But I just – it was so brave of you to go out and run on the streets <laughs> in Beijing by yourself. I can't believe it. Well, again, it was the end of my trip and I and I probably wouldn't have uh, been able to do that at the beginning. But you know, I felt comfortable enough and I'm so glad that I did. Uh, you know, this was kind of an epic sort of run adventure. It, I was gone for a good two and a half hours, I think. Um, and the air quality actually wasn't bad because I left so early. But by the time I got back to the hotel, it was hazy and I was definitely noticing it. But when I was going through Tiananmen Square, uh, which was pretty crowded uh, on my way home, I was stopped by several people who just wanted to say hello to me and shake my hand and and take a selfie, you know, um, with the Westerner in Tiananmen Square. Uh, and one of the really cool things was I also kind of worked up the courage to to run through a hutong, you, you know, hutongs. There's tiny alleys. And I'm surprised you're even able to run there because they're so crowded with rickshaws and people and bicycles and cars and uh, mayhem. Yeah, they're really fascinating, especially in Beijing. And, and they're these network of alleyways, basically. And they... They have houses and restaurants and shops, and it's very easy to get lost in in a hutong. And 
because I had walked through a couple of hutongs, I think I, again, sort of screwed up the courage to that morning run through some hutongs on my, my way back to the hotel. Definitely got some interesting looks there. I don't think they see a lot of Western runners running through hutongs early in the morning. Um, I stumbled upon an elementary school and parents were dropping off their children, children all in their you know uniforms and jackets and hats and backpacks and parents riding them to school on their bicycles. And it was just this quick little tableau of normal daily life in Beijing that I would not have seen um, otherwise, which is one of my favorite things about running is that it it can sort of deliver these unexpected moments and views of the place where you are that you couldn't ordinarily plan for. It's it's just it's serendipity. You know, the the serendipity of being a runner in a in a strange place is a really cool thing. I took a bunch of photos on my trip to China, and if you'd like to see some of them, go to runnersworld.com slash audio. And now for the kick. Here are editors Sarah Lorge-Butler and Brian Dalek. All right, Sarah, to start off the kick this week, we're looking at the Brooklyn Half Marathon that happened this past Saturday, but the story really kind of started before the race kicked off. That's right. It's one of the most popular half marathons in the country. Registration for it opened back in January, and it sold out in less than an hour. And on Thursday before the race, we started noticing that bib numbers were going up for sale on Craigslist and on MarathonGuide.com. Not just a couple, but (laughs) dozens of them. Okay, so why would people want to sell their bibs? Well, there's a couple of reasons, but the first is that entering races these days can be pretty expensive. If you were not a member of New York Roadrunners and you tried to enter the race, it was $85 to enter. It was $65 for members, but that's still a decent chunk of change. The other reason is a small, small, small percentage of people do this, but some people try to cheat. They give their bib number to a faster runner, and they can use that half marathon time to qualify for a race, like the New York City Marathon, has a few spots reserved for people who are fast enough who run fast half marathons. So beyond the cheating aspect, organizations like New York Roadrunners, they don't want you to do this for a couple other reasons, right? This is a really bad idea. You should never do this. And the number one reason is in case you are out on the course, you're wearing a bib number that does not belong to you, and you have a medical emergency. People are trying to help you, and they don't know who you are, and they don't know who your emergency contact is. That is very scary. So you should always run a race and be who you say you are. That's the primary reason. The second reason is that it really messes up the results, and it's not fair to the other runners. So let's use an example. Let's say you are a 64-year-old woman, and you can't run, and you give your bib to a guy who's in his 20s. That's going to mess up the results if the guy runs fast. All the other women who are in the 60 to 64 age group are going to wonder who this fast person is, their peer, and it's actually a a guy. Anytime we've done a story like this, we see that our readers are split on the process of transferring a bib. 
That's right. I think some people are never going to see the problem with it, no matter how many times we explain it to them or a race explains it to them. Other people are starting to get it that this is not something you should do. And we were actually kind of seeing that in the way these Craigslist ads were worded. There was a little bit of an acknowledgement. There were women looking to run as women, men looking to run other men to run it for them. And people saying, I'm not trying to cheat or anything. I'm just looking to recoup some of my costs. So I think awareness is growing, but it's not enough to stop people from still trying to get some of their money back. So I don't know if that's good news or bad news. And we did have some readers point out that they just don't understand why bib swapping can't be made legal. And some races, like the Pittsburgh Marathon, in fact, do have official bib transfers. So moving on, Sarah, the FDA recently issued a new warning that runners need to be paying attention to. Yeah, it's about fluoroquinolones. And these are broad-spectrum antibiotics, and they're in wide use. And they can cause a host of side effects that affect runners, especially with their tendons. We're talking Achilles tendons and maybe calf muscles as well. Yeah, and these are antibiotics that, you know, doctors we talked to said they're used regularly. They're used for sinus infections or urinary tract infections or respiratory infections. Yeah, you might have heard of some of them. You probably have. Leviquin is one of them. Cipro is another one that's commonly heard. So you really need to tell your doctor if you are a runner and the doctor is trying to put you on one of these antibiotics. You've got to be aware of this warning. And some people, they're just not going to be able to avoid taking these. So what's their advice when it comes to the running? First of all, know that the effects can be long-lasting. They can Mm -hmm. last sometimes for months after you've finished taking a course of these antibiotics. And second, you might have to be prepared to cut back on your training. You might have to reduce your mileage or avoid things like hills or, you know, speed work and interval work that can really put added stress on your tendons. Yeah. And we got some great comments on this story when it came out. It was pretty overwhelming, actually. We posted the story, and we quickly had comments from a lot of runners who said they had taken these antibiotics, and they had suffered immediately with either tendon damage or muscle damage. And in some cases, they were still suffering the effects. Other people were just sharing the information, and they were going to talk to their doctors, which is good. Finally, Sarah, you had a conversation with elite marathoner Desiree Linden, and that story went up on our site this week. That's right. She's currently getting ready for the Olympics in Rio, where she'll run the marathon. And it's always fun to talk to Desi. She's kind of a perennial fan favorite. Why do people seem to really support her? A couple of reasons. First of all, she's never won a major marathon. And she's been second a bunch of times, including at the Olympic marathon trials where she finished second. She had made no secret of the fact that she had hoped to win that race, but she finished second again. Um, So that makes her third second place finish in a major marathon. The other reason is that she just works hard. She's so consistent She reminds me of the type of person who in high school just worked really hard, but maybe wasn't the one winning all the awards, wasn't the superstar. She is just the patron saint of the pluggers. Yeah, and speaking of the trials race back in February in L.A., I mean, she had to work for that. Yeah, she's one of our best marathoners in the U.S., but 
She was in the middle of the pack. It wasn't a lock for her to make the top three and go to Rio. That's right. Early in the race, at about mile 12, Shalane Flanagan and Amy Craig made a major break. And Desi decided not to go with them. And there were quite a few women that were vying for that third spot. So mm-hmm. it seemed like the first two were a lock, and then any number of people could have finished third. So one of the things that sort of exemplifies Desi so well, she gave me a little bit of her take on that whole situation. Mm -hmm. She said, it was a little stressful, but I've never worried my way through a situation and had it turn out better. You just have to go into what you're doing and stay really logical about it. And I just love that quote, and I've been trying to apply it to my own work life with varying (laughs) degrees of success. I'll print out a poster for you and put it in your office for Monday morning. That'd be great. (laughs) Thanks. So... Another thing that kind of stood out from your conversation was her take on goals, both in a race and kind of looking forward. That's right. So as it turned out, that break that Amy Craig and Shalane Flanagan made early on came back to haunt Shalane, and Desi was able to pass her in the final mile and finish second instead of third. But also, she thought she had third place sewn up with about four miles to go. And her coach, you know, jumps out on the path and starts yelling at her that the people up front are slowing down and she should really go for it. She should really just try to cut the distance, cut their lead in half. And she talked about the importance of setting mid-race goals. So don't just, like, cruise to the finish line, but give your brain something else to focus on. Break it down a little bit. Give yourself something else to look for for that last lonely stretch, especially of a marathon. Yeah, be able to adjust on the fly because things can change for any type of runner out doing 26.2 miles. That's right. I think if you're running a marathon, like people talk all the time about having A goals, B goals, C goals, but I think it's important to be able to adjust your goals as you're racing too, especially when it's such a long race. And what's her mindset just, you know, with a few months before the Olympic Games? Well, I asked her if she was nervous yet, and she said, not really. You kind of have to, you know, save your energy. You can't be thinking about it all the time because if you get too excited, that's when you get injured and that's when you burn out. You sort of have to ration your passion. I mean, she's been working at this since the last Olympics when she was injured and couldn't finish the race. So really, this Olympics has been on her radar for four years. Every training decision they've made has been with this Olympics in mind. But she's also just got to sort of balance the long term with the short term. Okay, so our listeners and readers, they should really check out your story about Desi. She offers a bunch more tips on kind of how every runner can master the marathon. So, Sarah, thank you for joining us this week. Thank you. It's what I've learned. The road can be rough. Tides can turn. But if you work to know yourself, don't have to worry about nothing else. So I run. That's it for this week's show. Thank you for listening. And please keep the ratings and reviews coming on iTunes. We really appreciate it. This show was produced by Sylvia Ryerson, Christine Fennessy, and Brian Dalek. The music you're hearing now and that you heard at the top of the show was written and performed by Thunderhoof. We hope you'll join us next week when we will have a couple of exuberant shelter dogs teach us a few things about running with your best friend. And remember to check out our second podcast, Human Race. Next week, every runner's worst nightmare, getting trapped in a porta potty at the worst possible time. You seem short, 
day seem long And it's alright If your heart is strong Whether or not There's a number on your chest Always keep striving Trying to do your best And so I 